Well, let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, thank you for giving us your holy word, giving us the freedom to read it, giving us your Holy Spirit to help us understand it. And we pray to you now that you would do just that for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning again. It's so lovely to be back with you. Um, it's been a while since we were, we were last here. My wife would love to be here. She's busy doing a conference in Birmingham, which finishes at lunchtime, which is helping young people who are going out on short-term mission this summer. She will be here this afternoon and will be here at the evening service, but she would like to give her greetings to you as well. Uh, we have many friends in the congregation that have been grateful for your partnership over many years. Um, we turn to this passage in uh, John 20 this morning, and I really only want to speak about the first few verses, although the second section that we read is helpful to illustrate it. Let's first remind ourselves of the context of what's going on here. I know you're in your series of 40 days with Jesus, and so here we find the disciples on the evening of the first day of the week. Three days ago, their Lord, their Master, their Rabbi, had been brutally executed as a despised criminal. And they had all fled and were now quaking in this room behind a locked door for fear of being associated with him. They would be next. They were accomplices. And there's fear in this passage, locked in the room. That morning, some of them, Peter and John, Mary Magdalene, They'd been to the tomb, and where the body had been laid, it's now empty. <clears throat> Yet, since the disciples didn't have any expectation of resurrection, really, these things didn't usually happen. They had no expectation. They were disbelieving. They didn't believe the women's testimony. They struggled to believe. They remained weak in faith. And consumed by fear. And then Jesus comes and stands amongst them. Even though the doors were locked. And he says, peace be with you. Now, you don't have to understand that much about the context to realize that that's going to be a bit of a shock. I mean, this stuff doesn't happen. How can this guy... Turn up through locked doors and say, peace, peace. surely it's a ghost. Surely we're hallucinating. Surely this sort of stuff doesn't happen. So he goes on to show them, look my hands, look my side. It's me. Thomas, who wasn't there that first time, said that. Unless I see and touch and feel, I won't believe. could just be a ghost or a, or a vision. But he demonstrates his physicality to them. And look what happens. Their fear turns to gladness. The disciples were overjoyed, overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And then he commissions them and says, as the Father sent me, so am I sending you. Receive my spirit. So that's the summary of what took place. And I simply this morning want to make three points. The first is this. 
really obviously. When Jesus comes in our midst, he turns fear to peace and joy. He turns fear to gladness. Everything is transformed by Jesus' presence. All their fears and all our fears can be replaced by joy, can be replaced by the peace that Jesus offers, that Jesus brings. Now, I, I don't know many of you well at all, and I don't know if you struggle with fear. It's amazing to me that nobody was terrified about going out door knocking. I'd be absolutely petrified of that. So maybe you're not wanting to admit to it, but I don't know what sorts of fears you may struggle with. Generally, thanks be to God in our uh, community, we're not at fear of our lives. We're not fearful for our safety so much compared to our brothers and sisters that Bob was praying for in the other parts of the world. But for me, when I'm reflecting on this, what makes me fearful? What makes me anxious? I had three thoughts. Maybe you can relate to them. Maybe yours are different. But for me, busyness creates anxiety. Just at the moment, I'm in the middle of a really, really busy time. And I wake up in the mornings, maybe at four o'clock or or five o'clock. And I discover many of my friends, middle-aged men like me, likewise, are getting up at four or five in the morning because they, they wake up and can't sleep. They're thinking about all the things they've got to do. And the things they're going to do are exciting and important, but they're nervous about them. They're anxious about them. And there's, there's a lot going on. For me, in the north of England, I've got a lot of opportunities to meet a lot of different people. I've got a lot of opportunities to speak, seminars to give, lectures to prepare. And for me, my personality type is that although I look to you quite confident, I'm actually quite nervous about these things. And I'm worried about not doing a good job. And so I wake up at four in the morning. Not to mention the fact that there's an unlimited number of things that I could do when I'm surrounded by so many mosques and so many Muslim people in the north who would love to talk about spiritual things, but no one is going to talk to them. My peace goes and anxiety comes in. A second area of my life, I think, is what I'm calling changing stages of life bring fear and anxiety. Um, We have two children, and when we lived in Bath and we first came back, We were letting them go as day pupils to the school that maybe they could stay in when we went back to China. And um, they went as day pupils in this school for about six years. And then we moved to the north. And both our kids said, can we please stay here? I know you're not going to China. And I know Yorkshire's all right. But can we stay at the school? And God made a way for that to happen. But for us, we're kind of early empty nesters. And I don't think we were prepared even though we knew it was going to be hard, I don't think we were prepared for how difficult it has been to not have my children, who are 17 and 14, with me. My life is so different now, and I miss them. And I've got an ache in my bones that I don't have my children in my home. And that's a real challenge. But when I look at my changing stage of life, my wife and I work together, and then you kind of you're together in the evenings. We're in a new town. We haven't, got any, we haven't got any friends yet. We're in a new church. We're not. You think, wow, everything's changed. And that creates a lot of anxiety. Will it ever get better? 
Will I ever have a friend? Will I ever have a friend in Huddersfield? Do you know these things? I can laugh about it, but deep down within me, it brings me a lot of anxiety. Will my kids be okay? Am I damaging my kids by letting them be at school down there? Will I have friends? Changing life as I get older. As I get older, I get creakier. Okay, now I know I'm not that old, but I can't do anymore the things I used to like doing. I can't go to the places as vigorously as I used to go to those things. And, and I think life isn't getting better. Life is in a decline. And I start to feel anxious and fearful. A few months ago, I woke up with a, with a, a new ache internally, a, a pain. And uh, being a man, I ignored it for a few weeks. Well, I complained about it all the time to my wife, but I didn't go to the doctors about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And eventually I go to see the doctor and mention this ache. And he says, oh, well, we'll take a blood test. Oh, there's the fear. Not the taking of blood, but what could be wrong with me? What could be wrong with me? Failing health, growing older brings fear and anxiety. There's so many things, aren't there, in our lives that bring us fear. What's, what's the antidote? When Jesus comes in our midst, he replaces fear with peace and with joy. How? How does he do that? Well, the text tells us. He showed them his hands and side. The disciples saw the Lord. They saw the Lord. He demonstrated, yes, his physicality, but they also saw the reminder of what he had been through for them. They saw the marks of sacrifice, the marks of suffering. They were reminded of what he had been through for them. And in seeing him and remembering that, their fear was replaced with gladness. So my question for you is this. How do we see the Lord? Because we're those people that uh, Jesus mentioned later on. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. So how do we see Jesus? How can we see Jesus if we can't fix our eyes upon him physically? We meet Jesus through his word, through his spirit, and through his sacrament, through the communion. Jesus is revealed to us. We see him as we read and as we listen to his word being taught. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so much more than an academic study of another text. We need, all of us, good daily habits of meeting Jesus in his word. Good regular habits of being together to listen to his word being taught. But we also see Jesus when we take communion together, when we remember him, when we see the broken bread and we see the shed blood, we're reminded of his sacrifice. And in the breaking of the bread, we see with the eyes of faith, Jesus. And in seeing him through his word, through the sacrament, our fear can be replaced by peace and by joy. 
Friends, we need to be much with Jesus in these ways. Because only in him can that perfect peace be found. There is no other solution. I've tried them all. So have you. I've tried worry. Doesn't work. I've tried organizing my calendar. Doesn't work. I've tried distraction. Watching cricket, football, line of duty, whatever it is, I've tried it. Doesn't replace fear. It might distract me, but when I lie in my bed at night, I wake in the morning still with this core of fear. When we see Jesus, fear turns to peace and joy. Second thing I want to say, when Jesus comes in our midst, he gives us a mission. He gives us a commission Because he goes on and tells them, doesn't he, that just as the Father sent me, so am I sending you. What does that mean? Isn't it great that one of your mission partners gets to preach on that verse this morning? I was so happy when I read it a few months ago. We are called. This is John's version of the Great Commission. We are called to be sent by the Son. He is sending us in the same way he was sent. Well, what does that mean that we're sent in the same way that Jesus was sent? Three things. First, we are sent to the lost. We are sent to the lost. Jesus said that was his mission. He said the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost in Luke 19. That's the mission of the church. That's your mission too if you're a follower of Jesus You and me are sent to seek and save the lost, to go into our communities seeking to speak of Jesus, to proclaim his death and resurrection, to proclaim that only in him is true peace and joy, lasting peace and joy found. We must go to those who are not Christians. That's kind of why we work for OMF. Our focus is on those Vast numbers of people in East Asia who have no way of hearing about Jesus today because there are no Christians there, there are no churches there, and they don't have any Bibles. We mustn't sit here waiting for people to come to us. I know we'd love that to happen. It's much more comfortable where to go. And I love this initiative, this door-knocking initiative that I've just heard about this morning. And it's almost a perfect illustration. I didn't even realize we had it for the sermon that I have here. We are called, all of us, to be involved in God's mission in some way. You maybe are not all called to go knocking on doors, but every one of you is called to be praying for it. And for looking for other ways for you to be seeking and saving the lost. We can't save the lost Through our sacrifice, we point to Jesus. We point to Jesus. Everyone who believes in Jesus is sent. Second, sent the way the Father sends the Son to be incarnate. Do you know that word? Incarnate. Jesus was God with us. He was the fullness of the deity in human form. He took on our flesh and he lived where we live. That's really important for us to grasp because we are also to live in that way, sent to be among the people, to live among the people to whom we are sent. But think about this. 
If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he lives in you. And wherever you go, wherever I go, I am a Christ bearer. That's a scary thought in some ways, but an exciting one in others. Wherever you go, you see, you are bringing Jesus into their midst. You have that opportunity and mission to bring Jesus into the midst where he is not currently present. Where we are, where we go, should be a better place because we're there because Jesus lives in us. An incarnational mission means being fully present in those places. It's no good planning loads of Christian-friendly events. It's no good inviting people just to come to stuff if we are not active at the school gate, in the workplace, in our, in our university, on our golf course, with our friends who we've had for 35, 40 years who aren't Christian. We are to be active in praying for these people, that we might bring Jesus into their midst. But that's challenging, isn't it? It's really hard to think, I'm always on, I'm always on the job. I'm, al- I'm always ready. I'm always looking for an opportunity to share. That's costly, isn't it? But that's my third point. You see, the Father sent the Son to die. If the Son is sending us the way the Father sent the Son... Is he sending us to die? Not in the same way that Jesus was sent to die. Let's be very clear about that. Not in the same way. We can't die for sin and we are not saviors. But we are each called to lay down our lives. 1 John 3.16 tells us that in the same way the son laid his life down for us, So we are to be ready to lay our lives down for others. That's quite a challenging verse. That we are not our own. We have been bought at a price. We're to honor God in our bodies. We are to live for him. He is the Lord of our lives. He is number one. He's in charge. Your life is not your own. You have been crucified with Christ says the Apostle Paul. Yes, so we are sent. We are sent to be incarnate. We are sent to seek and save the lost. But we are also sent on a costly mission. It will cost you to be a faithful witness to Jesus. It's wonderful to hear of the response on the doors that you've knocked at. It's wonderful that the church still has a good reputation here in Claygate because, friends, it's changing It's changing in the world. It's changing in the workplace where to be Christian is to be equated with a homophobe or to be Christian is to be uh, equated with being an Islamophobe or or somebody's always judging others or always nagging others or always criticizing others. Christians are not good people. They're intolerant. They're racists. This is what's becoming the norm in our world today, a negative view of Christianity. So the cost for you in standing up in your workplace to say, yes, I am a Christian and I would love to talk to you about Jesus, the cost may be significant. Probably won't be physical the way it is for our brothers and sisters in Syria. 
But are you prepared to pay the price of being seen as foolish, simple, out of step with modern thought, offensive to the prevailing culture, intolerant, having your reputation tarnished? Will you flee from those scars, those wounds, those marks of faithful service? So when Jesus stands amongst us, he turns our fear to joy and peace. He commissions us as incarnational witnesses. And thirdly and briefly, he gives us everything we need to do all this challenging stuff. Because it sounds so hard. It sounds so impossible. You sit there thinking, I, <laughs> I don't know how on earth we could ever do that. He says to his disciples, receive my Holy Spirit and breathes on them. All the resources that we need are found there in that verse. Receive the Holy Spirit. We have everything that we need for life and godliness through God's divine power that he has poured out upon us. Have you ever received an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Have you ever prayed to God, God, pour out your Spirit on me? If you've done it once, do it again. In fact, do it daily. Ask him, oh, Father, pour out your Spirit upon me afresh this day that I might live for you. Because you cannot do it. I cannot do it in my strength. It is impossible. But God is the God of the impossible. You look to him. He pours his spirit upon you. You will be empowered. You'll have the peace and you'll have the joy and you'll have the mission and you'll have the power to live that life that pleases God. When Jesus stands amongst us and we see him, Our fear is turned to joy and peace. We are sent out into the hurting world around us, locally, nationally, and internationally. And we are given the privilege of the Holy Spirit of God to empower us to do those things. So let's come to him and ask him right now to pour his spirit upon us. Let us pray. Father, thank you for... The truth within your word. Thank you that we here have had the opportunity, Lord, in, in years past to see Jesus through our eyes of faith. And in seeing and fixing our eyes upon him, we rejoice and we know, Lord God, that you can meet us in our fears and turn them to your perfect peace. And our hearts break for our hurting town, our hurting nation this hurting world, Lord, and we we cry out to you, send us in the power of your spirit to be your witnesses, to be those who love and give and lay our lives down for others that they too might see Jesus and receive peace and joy. And I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters as I pray for myself, In the name of Jesus, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us today and fill us afresh with the power to live a life that brings glory and honor to Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen.